Get ready for brilliant people, brilliant ideas, and a regular good time. This is Brilliant Thoughts with Success People editor Tristan Almada, the show that thinks about how personalities, relationships, and communication shape business success. And now here he is, Tristan Almada. How do you bring an idea into reality? I'm talking about taking a light bulb moment and molding it into a full-blown business, a book or an endeavor, anything. Shaping those ideas into fruition takes work. There's usually a bit of process involved as well, and some luck. Today, I'm talking to Jordan Greenfield, the CEO and founder of Hubi, that's spelled H-O-O dot B-E. It's a platform that gave us the ever-popular link in bio. I think you see those on social media, on profiles, on Instagram or on TikTok, a section where you click on and then it gives you all those other links. We discuss Hubie's origin story, how to secure investors, and the future of social media. This one was very fun for me. Welcome back to another episode of Brilliant Thoughts, a success magazine podcast. Today, I've got Jordan Greenfield. And Jordan, first question I've got for you is, how do you know people like Shane McMahon, Chris Hemsworth, Diplo, Megan Trainer, Lewis House? What's going on, dude? <laughs> you know, it's been an exciting, it's been an exciting couple of years. I, um, uh, when my team and I, it's a, it's a young group of, of very hungry uh, entrepreneurial kids. We set out to build this and we sort of put out there and, and staked our flag on the ground and said, Hey, we're going to build a better platform than what exists currently on the market. And we're going to go out and get some of the biggest users in the world. And when we said that none of us came from entertainment, most of my team is, is in their early twenties, none of the parents or anything of, of that nature came from entertainment. And so I think that sharing your passion with people and, and putting yourselves out there and, and, um, like I said before, really staking that flag on the ground and said, hey, we're going to go out and build this. I think that really resonates with people um, of all magnitudes. And, and so we've just been very passionate. We've told our story since day one, and that has allowed us to get the people like some of the names you just mentioned. But there's a different story for each one of those. The coolest part is that some of them have come inbound and, and joined the platform organically, which is one of the most exciting things to see when, when you build something, you put it out in the world and you have some of these, these names that you never could have imagined as a kid doing work with or them using your, your platform when for years you watch their podcasts, listen to their music, read their entrepreneurial stories, whatever it may be. And then all of a sudden you build something, you put it in the world and now they're users. It's a pretty, pretty cool thing. I like that. I like that. So let's start with where the idea came from, because a lot of our listeners are entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and they like to go through the process of idea to formulating it, to actually creating it and then funding it and then putting it out there and hoping it works. Yeah. Let's go through that little process. Where did the idea come from and how did you build the team? Yeah, absolutely. So it is a little bit fragmented, um, no pun intended, as I get into to the explanation here. Uh, in terms of the way we went about building this. In like the year 2016, 2017, I was very intrigued by this idea of filter bubbles and this guy, Eli Pariser from over at MIT that talked about the idea of filter bubbles and, and us just being fed more and more of what we already know through these news feeds and the algorithms that define what we're seeing on social. Mm -hmm. That combined with sort of my foresight that 
there was going to continue to be more and more of these social platforms there. Believe it or not, a lot of people in 2014, 2015 that thought the war on social was over. They thought you had this one room uh, on, on Twitter, which was sort of the, um, I think Gary Vee described it as the cocktail party to the rest of the world. Um, you have other platforms like Instagram that were for the highlighted moments of, of your life. Mm-hmm. You had Snapchat for the auto delete and, and people really thought that like, okay, how many more social platforms could there be? Mm-hmm. And I was just a big believer that there will never really be an end anytime soon to this idea of new social platforms. There will always be these platforms that come to market with different expectations of of what's supposed to be discussed on those platforms, how those platforms are are supposed to be used, what's really accepted and, and encouraged on those platforms. And so I think a little bit of it was I'm kind of the guy that gets relief out of out of cleaning out the closet and organizing things and all those types of things. And so I just saw the the internet as as this fragmented chaos of all these online personalities that were fragmented across these different social platforms. You had to go to all these different news feeds in order to find out what you were looking for. And so it was really four or five years ago when I, I first had this idea of, of centralizing the social web and, and giving people this one centralized location to draw their audience back to. We actually ended up just because of market demand shifting away from that concept. We built something completely different, but it was in the influencer space. So all of this was a process that led us to where we are today. But if you fast forward to the fall of 2020 during really the, the height of the pandemic, Everything was happening online. There was all this digital chaos. We have a bunch of friends that are are some of the biggest creators in the world. And every single day during the pandemic, whether they're putting out a a new podcast, a new YouTube video, a new merch line, whatever it may be, they were always going back and changing out that link. The core problem that people really see as, as sort of the what called for these LinkedIn bio platforms, as you know them today, is that all these social platforms only allow for that one external link. And so We ended up during that time in the fall of 2020, a bunch of our friends who were some of the biggest creators in the world were manually going out and changing that link every day based on where they were trying to drive their audience back to. And they didn't like the solutions that were out there on the market at at that point. Linktree was obviously the leader in the space as it pertains to just the the link in bio space. And it was really just a collection of of, of stagnant links at that point. They weren't doing anything like the video embeds or, or the API integrations where you could sort of just enter your YouTube link as opposed to a YouTube video. And every time you released one, it would automatically update. So it was sort of that evergreen approach of leave it and link it. And so we ended up manually building out five or six pages for some of our friends who were some of the biggest YouTubers in the world. And before you knew it, we had our door getting knocked down from 20, 30 more creators saying, hey, how can I get a page like this? And so I looked at my co-founder and I said, hey, we're not going to manually make these pages for the rest of our lives because the way we had built them, <laughs> they couldn't even go in and edit the pages themselves. Dude. So there, there was a point there where we realized, okay, there's something to this. We, we put a couple out in the world. We did a little test and the response was incredible. And so we got lucky. We have a mentor. He's, he's only a couple of years older than us. His, his name's Nick Perello, and, and I consider him a co-founder of the company. But Nick has had a lot of success in, in tech in, in, in his 20s and in his early 30s. Um, Nick founded a company out of his college dorm room called Scully that was on Sharp Tank, backed by Damon John and Lori Guerrier. He went off to found a, a couple other very successful tech companies. One of those got acquired about five years back. And as part of that acquisition, it made him the CTO at First Republic Bank. $80 billion bank. He was managing several hundred engineers. He became the CTO of First Republic as a 30-year-old kid. And it was around that time when, when um, 
in the fall of 2020, I picked up the phone and I said to Nick, Nick, we're on to something here. And um, Nick's always been very intrigued by what we were building. He's always had an eye for sort of the entertainment, the celebrity space. I think you can kind of look over the fence and see some greener pastures when you're working at a bank. You start seeing some excitement of, of working with these big time celebrities and providing sh- solutions for them. So I convinced Nick at that time, we didn't have much money in the bank to start building technology for us for free. And that allowed us to get to a place where we had an MVP, where we could go out and raise some money from, um, you mentioned before, uh, a guy named Alf Poor and his business partner, Shane McMahon, who was, was one of the founders of the WWE. So we ended up building out an MVP and, and I was lucky enough to be introduced to those guys in November of 2020. We told a good story. We made some big promises in terms of some of the users we would get on if, if they were willing to write us a, a small check to get to market. And we ended up delivering on that. And so we told them that we were going to get some of the biggest users in the world on by the end of January. We were going to finish building that product and go to market. And we manifested it. We delivered on it. And about six, six to eight weeks into launch, we started getting some external interest from some outside companies that were taking a look at us. And at that point, Alf Poor and Shane McMahon did come in heavier with a with a larger investment check. And that's that's when things really started to pick up for us. Dude, I love that. I love that story. Here's what I get from it. And and this happens often when I talk to to people that are in a position like you're you were in or that are transitioning. And it always reminds me of a book by Nassim Taleb. It's called Fooled by Randomness. Yeah. He's got a whole series of books, but he says, Hey, you know what? This whole randomness thing, this uncertainty actually plays a bigger role in your life than you want to admit, Yeah. right? So I want to know, for this process, how much of it were you just lucky? Because it sounds like you were in the right place at the right time doing the right things, but how much of it do you think is luck? And can you quantify it? It's kind of hard. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I really don't point to too much luck on it. And I, I, I think the reason I say that is because... There was years and years of buildup that situated us in the place that we were at. And I think that we did a series of experiments in the creator economy and really dug our feet in for years, building relationships, building an understanding of the space, figuring out ways to provide solutions for people in the space. And so it was a series of tests that we had run for years that really got us to the point where we were at. And so it never really ends up being, and I think that a lot of early stage startup companies, I think 99% of successful startup companies, if you didn't iterate or shift or pivot at, at some point early on, you, you don't come across too many examples. Even the ones that people think are like the overnight successes early on, like the Airbnbs, the Snapchats, the Instagrams, like those apps too, they pivoted early on and, they, and there was transitions that made them become who they were. Mm-hmm. And, and so it was really a series of tests that got us there. And it was persistence. I mean, I tell my team all the time, it, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And I think that you, you kind of feel like in, in, in the startup world, you have to do both of those simultaneously because it is yeah. gas to the floor all the time. But the reason I say it's it's not luck is because there was so much persistence through years and years of this that it looks like it was overnight starting in 2020, but there was a lot of groundwork that was laid long before that on the relationship side and the understanding of the creator marketplace and the entire creator economy as a whole um, that went into positioning our, ourselves for, for what ended up coming in 2020. How much were the relationships a key factor to your success? Huge. 
huge. Relationships are everything. I, I think the one thing, and my father doesn't come from my space, but the one thing he always told me is at the end of the day, people still do business with people. And I think especially in our space and what we were building specifically for creators, celebrities, some of the biggest names in the world, the social proof early on was huge for us. And we're at a place now where we have 10,000 users on the platform. We have users all the way up to the, the big names you mentioned, like the Megan Trainers, the Chris Hemsworths, the Antonio Browns, the Tom Brady's, um, all the way down to sort of your local lifestyle influencers that have 50, 100,000 followers. The real estate that we own on the social web right now, in terms of that Lincoln biospace for some of the biggest names in the world, that is a huge, huge, huge price tag if you were to be a consumer brand and to say, hey, we want to access that space for a month, two months, three months. We've had some of the biggest names in the world on there for 18 months, two years now. And what really allowed us to do that is we've never paid or incentivized any of our users in any way to use the product from day one. With some of, we're talking some of the biggest names in the world. We got the social proof early on. We continue to build and iterate for those specific core users. And so we got momentum and we never looked back. And we used a lot of the users we were getting on as that social proof, as the way to validate what we were doing and to continue to build around the suggestions they were giving us. But early on, I mean, the, some of the big names we got on were relationships we invested in four or five years ago that came full circle. And for us, that was that was huge and that was critical. Um, so have we not invested in those, those relationships? In 2017, 2018, we would have had to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to some of these biggest users in the world when they were the first, second, third creator on the platform. But because we invest in those relationships, because we built a, a, a better mousetrap for these creators, for these celebrities, we were able to do this all organically. And since day one, we've never looked back on the, the organic growth. We've never done the, hey, we're going to pay you to put this, this link in our bio. And that's a very, very good place to be in where you have competitors coming and trying to offer your users $50,000, $100,000 to use their product for 90 days. When we know on day 91, they're going to come back to our platform. I like that. All right. Question then in regards to how this works. Yeah. Like people listening in, what is Hubi? I mean, it's H-O-O dot B-E. What is it? How does it work? Why do people keep on coming back? Yeah. So at the core, the, the original solution we were providing was for the Lincoln bio problem. Yeah. We provided a far more visually appealing, better user experience focused on creators and celebrities in terms of that solution for the Lincoln bio. And the goal has really been to simplify and enhance the way in which creators interact with both their fans and with brands is sort of the end goal here. The step one for us was grabbing that real estate and really providing that, that first sort of solution for the Lincoln bio problem. What we've realized over the last 18 months and what, what gets really interesting as we've continued to analyze the data over the last 18 months and really understand not only why our users are using the product, but also why their fans or why audience members are going to those pages, mm -hmm. you start to almost have an understanding similar to like an Amazon in the world. And stay with me, it's a little far-fetched comparison here, but Amazon's able to see if a Allo product is selling well on Amazon because they have the data, they understand that, they see how many people are coming and searching for Aloe. They then turn around and say, okay, if there's this many people coming to, to, to Amazon for Aloe, we now understand that we're gonna go out and create our own product for that to, to, to serve the demand for, for, for those customers. And so similar to, to what we've built here, we've grabbed the hard part, we grabbed the real estate. And at the end of the day, the Lincoln bio, 
really is a commodity. A lot of the technology that goes behind it, the functionality, it's, it's not crazy technology that's being built. It's, it comes down to which brand you prefer, which design do you prefer, which user experience do you prefer. And I think we've really out-executed people, especially for a small team as it pertains to that. But moving forward, now that we have that real estate, now that we already have that traffic and we understand what fans and audience members are going to those pages for, that sort of defines what our roadmap is moving forward. Because now we can go out and we can build exactly what we know those people are going for and provide a better solution that, that is, is native to the actual Hoobie pages themselves. So you can think about whether it's a, a somebody looking to, to come and partner with a, with a creator or a celebrity and they're, they're going to that LinkedIn bio. What can you provide in terms of functionality there? For people that are going to, to those Hubi pages and looking for ways to, to build a closer connection with their favorite celebrities or creators, and they want to do direct messaging with them, probably a, a paid direct messaging. Now we can go and we can provide a solution for that, or if they want to put a paywall on something. And so we can look at exactly what the needs are of the people coming to those pages. And that's the exciting part is, is we start to understand the data and we start to get the answers told to us as opposed to trying to guess what people are looking for. All right. So data is the key. How does this work in regards to making money? Absolutely. So we, we have a couple of different ways that we make money. So we do have an enterprise offering. So if you go to like an unruly agency or to a PLL, the Premier Lacrosse League, you'll see that they have in their link in bio, PLL.be. And that's sort of their main, their, their main link in bio for the league. Then you'll look at all of their teams or all their athletes and you'll see PLL.be backslash Paul Rabel. Same thing with Unruly. You'll see unrulyagency.be, and then all of their talent will have unrulyagency.be backslash Tara. So they have custom URLs. They have custom branding on the pages. They have a custom admin dashboard. One of the things that really differentiate us early on is we realized we were building for two primary users because we're building for not just the, the, your traditional end users, we're building for creators and celebrities. Yep. So there's a certain subset of our users that are that are going in and they're managing their pages themselves. These are sort of the mid-tier creators that have 50,000 followers up to 750,000, a million, where they're the ones actually going in and editing their pages. They're the one hands-on. Yep. But then you also have the top-tier talent that they're not going in and, and managing their pages. Megan Trainer's not going in and, and managing her page. The team behind the scenes is managing that page. And the team often is managing several pages now because now you're looking at agencies, you're looking at press agencies, and, and those teams are managing 10, 15, 100 different pages at a time. Mm -hmm. So we built a very friendly user experience for those teams behind the scenes that were managing talent 10, 15, 30 pages at a time, the ability to go in, edit the pages, access analytics, all of that. So we, we really focused on, on building for those core needs. I like that, man. So you're getting to meet all these amazing people and building these relationships. But how do you keep these relationships going? Because it's just growing and some people require more love than others, right? Yeah, it's a big question. I mean, I, our platform really, and, and some of the big, big names that have 10 million followers plus or are or, or, or superstars like the Jay Balvin's of the world, those aren't really our core users. That That's great social proof. And we provide a, a great solution and a, a product for them. But what's going to make it who be a billion dollar plus company is sort of our core users that fall in that, that 50,000 to, to, to million follower range. 
And we've done a great job and we put a, a big emphasis on our, our, our customer service and, and how we interact with our, our users or members, however you want to define them. But I think the main luxury that we have when you build for a subset of people, as opposed to trying to be the best product for everyone, is if you go to a, a platform like Twitter, or if you go to a platform like Instagram, or, or even a link tree of the world, and you're trying to get good customer service, good luck getting through to someone. When we're really building for not millions of users, but tens of thousands of users, it allows us the luxury to really be able to focus in on, on continuing to build those relationships. So it's, it's really just focusing in on, on who our core users are. Yeah. And like I said before, like Cameo became a billion dollar company when they had 40,000 users on the platform. And that that's a lot less than a lot of the consumer platforms out there. And so it allows you uh, the ability to, to really lean into those relationships. At what point did you decide this is going to be my audience? Because I think some companies that are growing don't ever get there and realize, hey, maybe we should go after a small niche instead of a bigger audience. When did you decide that? From the very beginning or as you were doing this? Yeah, it was right. It, right from the start, it was invite only. And I think that early on, it was a bandwidth thing, but it was really more so allowed us to focus in on building features and functionality around those users. I thought going into this that not everyone in the world needs a Lincoln Bio product. Mm -hmm. If you're not somebody that has these fragmented audiences with highly engaged fans across several platforms that you need the mm -hmm. solution to drive your audience back to so that you can tell them what's important to you in the, in, in the now, where it's really that one-stop shop to everything for your favorite creators, not everyone in the world needs that. And so I think that there are companies out there that have gone sort of the, hey, pay us eight to 20 bucks a month to have a subscription and, and use our product. But are you really building for people that need it? And so for us, it was like, in, in order to really feel like we were providing a solution, we wanted to build this for people that we knew need, need this product at the end of the day. And that was really the, the top tier creators. I like that, man. That makes a lot of sense because a lot of times companies that, that we see starting up, they try to encompass a lot. So yeah. what are some things that as you started this company that you can share with us that were big wins as to why you're succeeding right now? What do those look like? Some big wins. I mean, I, I think as you get proof of concept and you start building into a, into a real startup that gets off the ground, I think the biggest wins is, is how well you can attract talent. With an early startup, the people that you bring on early on do really end up determining what the DNA of the team is, what the culture of the team is, what you're sort of going to be about long-term. And so for me, bringing the right people to the table, the people that were passionate about what we were building, the people that didn't really look at this as a job or a hassle, but something they really wanted to dive into mm -hmm. and were really focused on the idea of innovation and new ideas and building something that was going to leave ultimately a lasting impact on the creator economy. Mm -hmm. That was something that we put a lot of emphasis on early on. Mm -hmm. I think that we've now seen um, like I said before, a lot of top tier tier names come to the platform. Yeah. Uh, we've seen a lot of them, musicians I've listened to for years, athletes I've watched for years. We've seen a lot of them even come through our wait list. So to see people coming to our wait list, following us on social, DMing us, it's been really surreal. And we try not to celebrate those wins too much. But when you end up having the ability to go on social and you're going into your explore feed and you're clicking on a random picture that catches your eye and you click on that picture and they, the, the people there just happen to be using your product. That's a very exciting thing, thing in the world. And I think that we went through a period there during the pandemic where everyone was sort of staying at home and, and you weren't out in the world, but it's, it's the same idea as 
being a designer and walking into a Starbucks and seeing someone wearing your, your sweatshirt or your clothing. It's a very, very cool thing to see something you built out live in the world. That's true, man. That's true. Let's go back to Shane McMahon. How is it that somebody like that decides to invest in your company? Tell me that process, that story. Yeah, absolutely. So it was mostly it was mostly his CEO, Alf Poor. Um, there was a, a publicly traded company called Ideonomics. We've told stories since the start of this. And the best part about it and the, the most rewarding part and why I'm so proud of my team is we've actually delivered on a lot of this stuff that we put out into the world and, and really manifested. And so when we were introduced to those guys, we just told the story. And I, I share with them that we had our backs against the wall during the pandemic. We had to do consult. I told them all the bad stuff. I told them we had to do consulting gigs to keep the lights on. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I told them of, of the way we had built relationships in the creator world and, and um, how we had sort of positioned ourselves to really build something that's meaningful. And they looked at me at the end of the call and said, how can I be helpful to you, kid? And I said, I need $250,000 to finish building this and to launch with. And I went through a list of names and they kind of laughed at me. And they said, you really think you can do that with $250,000? You're going to build that, let alone get this top tier talent on? Because in their head, they're like, they're thinking the pay to play route. They're like, nobody can do anything with, at the time, it was like 50 Cent was, was joined the platform, Chris Paul, Lewis Howes, Mel Robbins. And, and they're like, how are you going to get these people on? We delivered on that. And I think when you take someone's money and within 30 to 60 days, you go out and deliver on exactly what you said you were going to deliver on and you start getting interest in terms of potential acquisition candidates and all that, it becomes an easy decision for them to come back in and write a check of a couple million bucks. So it was really just about keeping our word that I believed that we were going to go out and get these big names on, but we didn't know as, as kids building this from, from scratch in the fall of 2020 that we we're going to actually be able to deliver with getting those people on the platform. So I think it's really just about keeping your word, being transparent, um, not putting too much fluff into it, sharing the bad stuff as well as the good stuff. And I, I, I think people want to see passionate, hungry people that that really have a purpose win. I like that. You didn't have to wrestle anybody? Uh, no. There's no, there no physical wrestling? No, I wish. I, I'm a hope, I hope we can get to uh, one, of, one of the live events at some point. I like that. So you get the money. How do you go and say, okay, now let's go and acquire the talent. Let's have people start using this more. What's that transition look like? Yeah, I, I mean, that was just bringing on additional resources. When we when we brought in the, the original money, we were probably four or five people that were sort of my closest friends who, were, who ultimately became my co-founders. And we were slowly onboarding people. But when we, when we ended up getting that later check, I, I think in... February or March of 2021, we'd already had about 750 users on the platform that all came organically. And so at that point, it was just about figuring out, okay, how can we actually scale this stuff now? So we had to get pretty savvy in in regards to our email marketing, our outreach, the way we were storytelling. Um, And we've always put a big emphasis on social. We've been pretty creative and, and scrappy in the way we've gone about doing things. We brought on um, a creative director named Taylor Cut Film, Jordan Taylor Wright, who's, who's been huge in the space for a long time. And so he'd allowed us to, to really story storytell at scale. Um, he allowed us to collaborate with some of the biggest creators in the world because they've always wanted to shoot or create videos with, with Taylor Cut. And so we're able to tell a lot of great creator stories of our early adopters. And it just became sort of a domino game of how can we find these waves of momentum and ride them as far as we can and simultaneously find another wave so we're never stagnant 
and then ride that one because a lot of this stuff ends up coming. You find pockets of these users where it's you get five big users and that opens up to another 150. And you have to figure out, okay, we got these top tier college athletes on now. How can we utilize this in order to get a hundred more of these these top tier college athletes on? And so it's it's finding those pockets and it's doing a lot of a lot of testing and a lot of iterating as well. So a lot of A-B testing on the email side, a lot of A-B testing on, on the social side. And just really understanding what resonates with people. And I think that's the, the coolest part about tech. There's not all these misunderstandings of like old print ads or billboards or any, like you understand where your traffic is coming. You understand where you're having success if you actually dig in and understand the data. What part of storytelling is working for your company? How does that look? Yeah, we've always really put emphasis in, in terms of who we are as a company in our users. And so it's been very important to us since day one to really tell their stories and help them tell their stories in more effective ways. So we've done a lot of storytelling around why our users use our product. Like what is it that our creators or our members are are doing across social that they sort of need this centralized location to tell the full story. So we do a lot of storytelling where it, where it shows you in real life what these creators look like and then how it brings them back to, to their Hoobie page and how that allows for a more full picture of who these creators are when you do t- tune into their Hoobie pages. I like that. So where do you think social is heading then? Since you guys have a pretty good pulse as to social media and, and a presence from these massive influencers, where does social go from here and how do influencers adapt to get there? Yeah. So you had like right after the Vine days when people started transitioning over to YouTube and like 2012, 2014, 2015, the biggest thing in the creator world was like, who's going to land the biggest brand deal? And it was like, okay, who, who can get that big check to go out and promote, whether it's a ticketing app or a clothing brand. And then you saw this transition. And I think that in 2017, 2018, I think a lot of it was because the stories were starting to be told more widely across social of the successful entrepreneurs, whether it be like the Evan Spiegels of the world, the Mark Zuckerbergs or, or, or the, uh, the Gary V's of the world. And so I think that a lot of people sort of got this entrepreneurial itch. And so there was a transition there where it went from really the brand deal over to like, how can I create my own products? How can I have my own merch lines? How can I create my own companies? And that was sort of the transition we saw from brand deals to people, to creators ultimately wanting to sell. And there will always be brand deals, but creators wanted to sell their own products. Mm-hmm. And then over the last two to three years, and you've seen it in like the adult space, but you've, you've also seen it as it pertains to, to life coaches, to fitness instructors. It's like, we're at the stage now where people don't want to sell other people's brands. They want to sell their ideas. They want to sell their knowledge. They want to sell their content. And so I'm a big believer that three, four years down the road, the fragmentation is not going to slow down. TikTok TikTok is not the last one to take over. There will continue to be more and more of these digital rooms online where people interact and, and people engage with one another. And I'm also a big believer too, as it pertains to what I was just saying in terms of people wanting to sell their own ideas, their own knowledge, there will be a transition where paywall, paid messaging, and we've, we've already seen it heavily in the adult space, but I'm a big believer three, four years down the road, all top tier creators and celebrities will have sort of their A1 content that they use these existing platforms, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, to cast this wide net over their existing audiences and ultimately draw them back to that A1 content that does live behind these paywalls. Nice. Do you envision having be change into something like that in the future? We are building some stuff around more access to your favorite creators and celebrities. So what does access mean? I think it means 
access to additional content, access to additional messaging features, access to additional requests from your favorite creators and celebrities. So we are building a lot of stuff in in that space. We were looking at as sort of our creator toolkit and, and what additional resources we can provide to them. Um, and I, I actually forgot to mention this when you were asking about the monetization earlier. I share with you that we have the one model of the enterprise where we offer enterprise and custom branding, custom URLs. That's like a small fraction of what our, our ultimate business is going to be. We make money when our when our users make money. We already have a lot of our users that are doing very well on a monthly basis, and we've released just some of this monetization features to a very small subset of our user base. And we're going to continue to release that to more and more over the next couple of months. But when our creators are able to, to monetize their Hoobie page and they're able to engage their audience and ultimately sell some of the things I was just sharing, that's when we make money. I like that. Since you work with a lot of these amazing companies, influencers, type of people and companies, what can a company do or, or an influencer right now to keep up with the social changes that are happening? It's just on, on, online specifically. Yeah. I mean, as it pertains to, to creators, to influencers, like yeah. unless you're a, a revolve of the world that works with 20 K plus influencers a year, and they've really mastered the game. If you're a small business or if you, or if you're a company that's not in like, say like a very traditional consumer goods brand, like revolve, mm -hmm. and you want to work with influencers, you don't need to work with hundreds of influencers. You need to build relationships with the influencers that, you know, already have that affinity for you. And it's very easy to test out who has that natural liking for what you're building, whether it's through product gifting, whether it's through engaging with them on social, starting conversations and, and group messages, you're going to be able to tell the ones that, hey, if I do a 90-day brand deal with this person, they're going to not only promote us for 90 days, but they're going to be a customer past that. And they're going to continue to stay engaged with us. And if we decide six months down the road to send them a box on Christmas, a PR box as a courtesy to them, they're going to unbox that and they're going to show us brand love. But you can also tell right away the ones that aren't going to do that. And it's very clear to understand who's in it to build a relationship with the company, who actually loves your products and loves your service and wants to use those and wants to share those with their audience because they're proud of using that. And they think it's a value add to them as opposed to the ones that are just looking for that quick check. Hmm. Makes sense. So more authenticity. Yeah, absolutely. Right? More authenticity connecting with your actual audience. Yeah. All right. Now, as far as as far as the opportunities, where do you think the opportunities are for entrepreneurs or companies listening in and saying, Well, I love what you're saying, Jordan, but how can we capitalize on some of what you're doing so that we can continue to grow? Yeah. I mean, I probably look at that outside of like our our specific product, but I think that. I think the important thing of our story is there is a way to do this without having millions and millions of bucks. And I think that a lot of the, the early sort of interest on the acquisition level was these kids went out and got thousands of these big name users that we would have to go out and pay millions of bucks to. Let's just acquire these kids for a couple million bucks. We'll onboard them to our team. They didn't know how big our aspirations were, but there is a way to do this stuff organically. And I think that comes down to this idea of like, at the end of the day, people do do business with people. The idea of storytelling, the idea of brand can never be underestimated. I had a very smart mentor of mine, a kid named Matt Fogel that, that sold his, his agency called Basic Agency out of San Diego for, for a big sum. And he told me one night at dinner a couple of years back, and I'll never forget about it because he got a big exit for that agency. And he, he said to me, they overpaid because of the brand. Do not ever underestimate the value of a brand. And I think that we built a brand that is really us building 
product, functionality, resources for our peers. That's the way we've sort of built this. And, and that's resonated with people. We're not an unapproachable brand. We've re- really built this at the ground level. And I think that part of building for that, that smaller group, like I was talking about, that more focused group has allowed us to do so. And it's ha- has allowed us to stay within arm's length of our users and continue to get feedback from them. But yeah, I, I, I think, I think for brands, it's like, there are opportunities to work with some of the biggest creators in the world, and you don't have to be a, a Google or an Amazon to do so. That makes sense. Uh, good advice on that, Ben. As the world keeps on changing so fast in, in your world specifically, which I think is very similar to what most entrepreneurs go through, you mentioned not only do we have to run a marathon, but we have to run a sprint at the same time, right? Yeah. And that gets challenging. How is it that you can do that? Yeah, I think it's having good people around you. I think Reed, so Reed Hoffman, the founder of LinkedIn, is one of my favorite entrepreneurs. And I think he describes startups as jumping out of an airplane and assembling the parachute on the way down. Yeah. And I think that's incredibly true. I, I mentioned before the, the idea of, of pivoting and, and doing tests and understanding the market before you know exactly what you're going to do. I think that the team becomes everything. I think that there are certain people, because I, I get caught up right now as a small team, we're really only about 20 right now. And we're hoping to double that over the next three months. Um, but as a small team, it's very easy for me to get caught up in the day-to-day stuff and, and the sprints and, and really looking at, okay, we need to get 250 top tier users on the platform today, as opposed to taking a step back and, and sort of taking that marathon look of being like, okay, long-term, what is the, the big the big vision here? And so I think that having people around you that can support you, that you can lean on to take some of that day-to-day stuff off your plates and sort of that sprinting stuff off your plate mm-hmm. where you can take a step back and look at the bigger vision. And so I think it's really just situating yourself with the right team. Okay. And what, what, have, you, what have you seen is your main goal? Over the over the last few months, what have you been super focused on? You in particular. What I've been super focused on, I think that we've done a lot of what we've done to date without, and people in the startup game talk about it as like unfair advantages. So, like, what access to certain resources do you have, um, or or to certain relationships in regards to like how how can you get that unfair advantage over competitors? Whether it's you have a you have a relationship at Google, you used to work there, or an employee used to work at Google, and you can you can get your stuff higher indexed, or or you have a a relationship over at Meta with someone who can give you API access that's not going to be access that's going to be allowed um, to people as a whole. Like there are certain unfair advantages that you can get. And I think a lot of that comes down to as you get into like your series A, series B, to having the right investors behind you. A lot of our investors to date, like Shane and, and, and Alf have been great as investors. They've been incredibly supportive, but they don't come from the space. They're sitting there betting on us and saying, hey, we believe in you guys, go make this happen. But they're not on calls with us day to day and they're not strategizing and they're not opening up strategic relationships in, in, in regards to the tech, the entertainment space, all of that. And so I think that my main focus right now, when you get in bed with a venture capitalist for the first time, it's it's a marriage and you want to make sure that that's a fit and you guys are aligned with your goals because as a venture capitalist at the end of the day, their, their main priority is to, is to get a return for their investors. And that's our main priority as well. But we have a vision and a way in which we want to do this. So I think aligning yourself with the right investors as a series A company and, and really having access to some of those unfair advantages that we hadn't had access to prior We've been the bad news bears for the last year and a half. We're a bunch of hungry kids that that we're knocking down walls to make this stuff happen. So if we can team that up with some strategic relationships, some um, strategic planning as it pertains to people that have been there, done that, 
that's where I think the, the ceiling jumps tremendously. All right. So where do we follow you? Where do we learn more about you and your company if we're interested in? Yeah. Hubi, HO.be. It's the same across all platforms. It's our URL, HO.be. And if you want to follow me on social, you can find me on Instagram, primarily Jordan Taylor. I love that. Super easy, man. All right. What's next on your plate? What are you going to do? Next on the plate? We are about to head back out West. We're excited. I'm excited to be around all my my team members again and, and get back into a physical office space part of our marketing, and we did sort of take a page out of the, the Revolve handbook with this, is as an additional perk for our users or our members outside of using the technology, we do put on some incredible events where they can network with the other creators. And, and we did one a couple months back. We threw one at one of our investors, David Dobrik's house. We had 50 Cent show up for a live performance in the backyard. Our users love seeing that. Love um, this spring, um, we are doing a, a creator summit, a large scale, scale creator summit with 20 of, of our biggest users, some of the biggest names on social in the world. So we're really excited to, to get up there and, and have them shed insight to 2,000, 3,000 uh, members in the audience there. And so we're going to do a series of events on an annual basis where there will be a Hubi Festival every year. There will be a creator summit done by Hubi every year. And we're going to continue to do a lot of that because that's a big piece of, of our storytelling and allow us to get out there with our users um, and to tell audience members what we're all about. So th- there's a big focus on that. And really, as a founder and CEO, my biggest obligation is to go out and get the right investors involved. And that's a that's a full-time job when you do that. So we're right in the right in the midst of raising our Series A right now. It looks like we have a very a dream investor who's coming in as our as our lead investor on this round. And that's going to make the world of difference to us. So I'm just thrilled to be able to, to learn from some people in the space that have been there, done that, can provide insight, help us avoid making the same mistake twice, all those types of things, because we're just fans of the entrepreneurial world. We're fan, fans of the tech space. And, and so if we can rub continue rubbing shoulders with not only our users, but some of the biggest names in, in the space. That's like the coolest thing possible for us. I love that, man. Well, thanks for being on. We appreciate you. Thank you so much. That was so much fun, Tristan. Thanks, Jordan. Those are all the brilliant thoughts that we have for you today. If you like what you're hearing, drop us a review or just tell your friends. This has been a success podcast. Head to success.com slash podcast to hear more just like it. 